Hey listeners, this episode discusses pregnancy, fertility treatments, and single motherhood by choice. Please take care while listening. You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Hey listeners, welcome to the Race to Empower podcast. This is the third episode in a special series that I'm doing this week about preparing for maternity leave in private practice and just acknowledging that everyone's journey to motherhood and parenthood is completely different. I'm doing a four-part series this week about maternity leave and private practice. And in each episode, I'm talking with a different woman about her experience and journeying to motherhood and navigating private practice. Some of these episodes were discussing pregnancy loss, fertility struggles, adoption, and single motherhood by choice. And today is part three of that series. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, if you check your podcast feed, you can go back and listen to them if they are ones that feel um, applicable or appropriate for you. And if you're preparing to welcome a child, you're currently pregnant or in the adoption process or whatever phase you're in as you're journeying towards motherhood, and you're wondering how to take maternity leave and private practice, what to prepare for and all the other important details, I'm hosting a free workshop on July 12th, where we'll go through all the details to prepare for maternity leave, including talking with clients about your leave and setting yourself up financially for taking time off. You can register for this free workshop at raisedempower.com forward slash maternity leave, and you can check the show notes on this episode for the link. My guest today, Jamie, shares with us about going through fertility treatments as her journey to become a single mom by choice. She opens up about how she reached this decision and how she prepared herself personally and in her practice for her maternity leave. Here's our interview together. My guest today on the Raised to Empower podcast is Jamie Silvers. Jamie earned her master's in social work from the University of Southern California with a concentration in families and children. Prior to embarking in the mental health field, she worked in the music industry for over eight years, managing singer, songwriters, and rock bands. Music has always been an enormous passion of hers. Jamie's experience and interest includes working with individuals and couples suffering from depression, anxiety, infertility, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, self-esteem, and relationship issues, including all forms of grief and loss. After living in New York City for six years and then Los Angeles for nine years, she moved back to Pennsylvania in 2016 to embark on her greatest journey as a single mother by choice. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I'm really excited to be here. I'm I'm excited to, to chat with you today and to learn more about your experience of your journey to motherhood and how that has shaped your work in private practice and, and your maternity leave. I always like to start out with guests of just kind of finding a little bit about your background of how you got to private practice, how you got to the the world that you're in now in therapy. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, per your introduction, I, my 
former life was managing singer-songwriters and bands and music's always been a huge passion of mine. And I can say this kind of jokingly, but in a way I was kind of like a, a free therapist to my clients <laughs> all these years um, because I pretty much worked for free. Um, and then, you know, just circumstances have kind of led me to want to shift gears and what I want to do with my, with my life and my future endeavors. And I've always loved helping people and um, therapy and counseling and just being that support system. So while I was living in Los Angeles, I got my master's in social work, knowing that I wanted to go into private practice at some point. Um, I did social work because I figured it would be, make me potentially a little more marketable, yeah. <laughs> depending on which direction I go. But the one, you know, the one thing that was always missing for me personally, as much as I've lived a very, you know, grateful and fulfilled life is that I've always wanted to be a mom and have a mm. family. And I didn't, I just hadn't met that person while I was living in Los Angeles. And I remember kind of just making that decision that as much as I'd love a partner, I wanted to be a mom more. And yeah. as a woman, time isn't always on our side as right. far as, you know, indefinitely being able to conceive. So I ended up moving back to Pennsylvania where I have support from family and I figure, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'll, I'm going to, you know, uh, I used uh, donor sperm to conceive my kids and, um, where it comes to private practice, I just realized that while, you know, embarking on your own as like a solo practitioner definitely is risky and scary as any, you know, starting a, a business sure. would be, I was really excited about the, the flexibility. And I figured yeah. that would be um, the, the smartest option, given that I would be doing this on my own. Yeah. Now, were you already in private practice or had established a practice prior to going through the process of trying to conceive? Um, No, I actually was, when I moved back to Pennsylvania, I worked at two group practices. And so I was even still at that group practice when I was trying to conceive and they were aware that I was going through fertility treatments and you know, I was also as a group practice, I was a contract worker. So, you know, as a 1099 employee, you know, you're not really a, an employee, right? right as right. far as having um, certain benefits that right. one would as a W-2. Um, but again, you also then have the, the flexibility, you know. Um, so yeah, I was in a group practice until I had my, um, my daughter in, in 2017. And it actually wasn't until everything kind of shut down with COVID in 2020 and we were, you know, forced to go and, you know, into doing telehealth that I kind of had this like, you know what, this is, this is the time to to kind of branch off on my own. So you were still with the group practice for a while then, even after your daughter was born. Yeah. Yeah. So I joined the group practices in about in, yeah, 2017, like. So even a couple months before I had her um, yeah. and I was with them for a few years. And then in 2020 is when I really um, ended up kind of starting to build my own practice. But then 
2021, when I had my second, my son, when I officially left the group practice. Yeah. So- this will be this will be interesting conversation because we'll get to hear what does this look like for you with a group practice in your maternity leave and then solo. So as you were working with the group practice and preparing for, okay, I'm going to be having a baby, you know, I'm going to be having some time off. What did that look like for you in making choices for yourself of what do I want maternity leave to look like? And then in talking with clients about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good question. I think, you know, being a, a 1099 employee, it did make it challenging because it's not like I have built in maternity leave, right? right? Where a lot of practices, you know, you have your FMLA, even though we're entitled to FMLA, but, you know, yeah. as far as not having that, um, um, you know, automatic time off, right? you know, um, or, or even like the short-term disability, or short-term yeah. disability. Yeah. So we didn't um, necessarily have that um, option at that time. So I kind of knew going into it that it was going to be shorter, you know, as much as I would love the 12 weeks off, I kind of had to prepare myself to, um, you know, save up as much as I could or know that I'm going to have a shortened maternity leave, especially, you know, knowing that I'm doing this solo. Um, So I think the main, the main thing for me was just kind of preparing myself mentally, that it's not going to be the most conventional way, you know, taking that time off. And what did you find? Like, or let me back up. How much time did you end up taking with that first round of maternity leave? Um, The first one I took about um, 10 weeks off and I did prepare my clients for that. going into it and everyone was, you know, you know, handled pretty well given the circumstances. Um, And then for the second, because I was, you know, fully in private practice then, and it's a lot different because this was also in 2021 and I was all virtual by then. So on one hand, most of my clients couldn't even tell that I was pregnant, that they were just seeing, you know, from my shoulders up. Um, but when I finally let them know, to be honest, I only took about five weeks and it probably was not enough time that I, that I should have. But I also, since I was the sole income provider, I didn't really have much of a choice. So I kind of had to prepare myself. It was going to be a really short leave. Yeah. Well, and I was curious about that because I know like for those who do have a partner, that there is privilege in that, that, okay, you do have someone else that it may be tighter, but that there's at least the possibility of another income coming in versus if you are venturing into motherhood as a single parent or single mom by choice that you don't necessarily have that to fall back on. And I wonder how you prepared yourself for that, or if you, and if you have recommendations for others who may consider this. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they say it takes a village, right? And it's not even just the financial village, but I think it's just preparing yourself to have whatever emotional and social and or financial support you can in any capacity. I find it interesting. And I think of this as just perspective, right? You know, I went into wanting to be a solo mother. Let me back up. 
I would love to have a partner, right? But I also made that choice that it was more important to me to have a child. So I kind of went in with that mindset that I'm going to do this on my own with or without somebody. So I can't rely on other others other than having your support system, right? But I think it's interesting when I meet with a lot of my private practice clients, they do have partners or when they go into um, raising a child or having a child together, the expectations of one another, as far as like, you know, I, you know, would assume or expect that you're going to put in just as much effort that I do. And then the disappointment or resentment that they feel when they aren't seeing that in their partner is for, for my experience, you know, I go into it knowing that I have to handle it all on my own anyway. So it's like, I think when it came to kind of the financial aspects of maternity leave or the responsibilities, it was that mindset of like, you know, I appreciate any help, but I know that I can do this on my own. That you kind of prepared yourself for that. Exactly. Yeah. And, And again, with like the financial piece too, you know, course having more money would be sure helpful but at the same time I kind of whatever I could do to prepare myself in advance right whether it's however savings or knowing that I'm going to have to make certain adjustments right um when it when it came to having the baby yeah just so then I felt the most in control right that was kind of out of my control well and knowing like if you know that, okay, there's not that other person that I can depend on, it can help you, whether it is in parenting or in another situation, right? That we can, okay, I can adjust my mindset, adjust my approach so that I know what I'm going to be preparing myself for. And so, yeah, when you're venturing into motherhood without that partner, then yeah, I'm sure that there was a lot of work for you of just mentally and physically preparing for what is this going to look like? Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I think if anyone, you know, I, I do work with a couple single mothers by choice and, you know, I think it's also preparing themselves as they're getting closer and closer to taking that leave of building their confidence. Yeah. We don't have a manual and we have a baby, right. But it's like building their confidence. (laughs) It's like, I went into this and I can do this. The partner's wonderful, lovely, but I don't need the partner. Sure. In order to, um, you know, be successful or take care of a child or, sure, you know, I think sure. it's kind of what is that expectation going yeah. into it. Now, I know from some of the stuff you've shared with me before we, we met today that one of your children was um, conceived through IVF and one through IUI. And yeah. I'd be curious if that was a process that for you being in practice and working with clients at the time, if, if there was any stuff coming up for yourself in, while you're working with maybe clients who are either having babies or themselves trying to conceive and what that was like to be going through that yourself while also holding space for others. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, so when I did, when I did IUI for my first, I was, um, 39. So I was like on the older side per se, you know, but, um, you know, the doctor thought there's no reason why I couldn't get pregnant. So let's just try IUI. And it, and it did 
work on the third try. So like, okay. you know, I, I, under, I get that there is that kind of grief and the roller coaster yeah. of emotions that go through when it's not successful the first, yeah. you know, two tries. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it, it was pretty seamless. I don't know if that's the right choice of words to say <laughs> that, but um, it was, you know, it, it wasn't that challenging. And at mm-hmm. the time I was not working with clients in that um, population. Okay. Um, so I didn't find that there was any kind of parallel or, or, or challenges, you know, as yeah. far as um, going through conception yeah. with my son um, is when I did IVF. And the reason why I did IVF with him is I was also in my early forties by then. And I had frozen my eggs when I was 35. Yeah. I just, it was, you know, my very expensive insurance policy. Sure. I wanted a, ba- a baby someday. And so my fertility doctor was like, you should use your 35 year old egg. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, and I used the same donor for, for my son. I was working with one or two clients then that was struggling with fertility mm. and it definitely was challenging at times, yeah. right? Cause it's like, I'm, like you said, I'm trying to hold space for them. And I'm, I feel like as clinicians, you know, we try to do our best to kind of hold that space but also compartmentalize right. Right, and not have like the counter transference happening if right. you're going through this, a similar journey. And so there were moments where some of my clients were struggling with fertility or law while at the same time, I'm either trying to conceive or pregnant. Yeah. And they also didn't know I was pregnant. Right. Cause you're all so, virtual at that point. It was yeah, all virtual. So see. Mm-hmm. see I was pregnant. So I feel like I kind of just try to, when I see my clients, you know, just do my best as, as you know, yeah. a human to just to hold that space for them yeah. and be, you know, start where, you know, where they're at right? to, to support them in their journey, regardless of what I was experiencing at that time. And I think that's such good advice because I, I know a lot of times, regardless of whether we're working in perinatal mental health, which I know you and I both work in that space, sharing the news of a pregnancy with clients can be, it can feel uncomfortable in some ways because it it is a personal thing for us. Right. And what we're taught is like, don't disclose personal things, but like in many ways you can't hide it. Right. And you also do have to have a conversation of this is coming up. Right. And it's something in my personal life that's going to impact you as my client, and maybe I wouldn't normally disclose things, but this has to be disclosed. And how do I do it in a way that's sensitive to you as the client, but also recognizes that I have my needs and that those are okay too. Right. And especially if that client is, you know, struggles with perinatal or postpartum anxiety, yeah. you're kind of, you know, have been supporting them up until a certain point, right? And then right. they're like, just kidding. I'm going to leave her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or even in working with clients that aren't in that space, you know, I've worked with clients when I've had maternity leave in the past where this wasn't necessarily an issue that would impact them because of attempts to get pregnant or motherhood or parenthood for them, but they've struggled with abandonment issues and now my therapist is leaving. Right. And so how do I, how do you have those kind of conversations, even if 
perinatal may not be the population you're working in. How could this impact those clients in another way too? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for the most part, I found that when I did give the news, especially with my, my one-year-old, they took it very well. You know, yeah. I gave them that option of like, I can offer you temporary support. You know, sure. I understand if you need me to refer you out or do you want to wait? And I, and I think it, you know, it wasn't as difficult for some of them just because I didn't take a lot of leave. I, t- I didn't take a very long leave. Yeah. I also, while I probably should have set, you know, stronger boundaries for myself, okay. I also kind of kept my door open in the sense of like, you can reach out to me anytime. You know, I didn't mind continuing, even if we didn't have a virtual session, they could always text me or email me. I didn't mind continuing, you know, communicating that way until I officially came back. Do you think if you could go back, you would do it that way again? Which way? The, of like um, letting them, like that door being open, even while you're on that maternity leave. Do you think I you do. would still have that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't feel like anyone really took advantage of that. Right. Okay. It was kind of, you know, bombard, you know, bombarding me is a strong choice of words, right? But like, you know, yeah. no one, if someone reached out, I didn't mind, you know, because I think especially with therapy, you know, we've developed this you know, relationship yeah. and therapeutic rapport that, you know, I, I didn't mind connecting yeah. with them or, you know, helping them or supporting them however they needed, even if I wasn't officially back in the office. So, yeah, you, it sounds like you felt like you were in a space able to handle that for like yourself in a space where you were able to, yeah. where some, some women after giving birth or having a new baby may not be like, I know after having my babies, like I'm not in a space to really be able to have that door open because I'm just trying to get from one moment to the next. Absolutely. And I think if I were in a, if I had been in a different space, I would have, um, I do feel like I would have communicated that to them. And I think I did acknowledge, you know, I don't know how it's going to be, you know, we don't know how, what birthing experience is going to feel like or what postpartum is going to feel like. And, you know, I did not experience um, postpartum depression or anxiety with my first. I didn't know if I would with my second, you know, so it was kind of, you know, they understood that it was a let's play it by ear. Right. Um, but I right. think I would have communicated if I was struggling as, as far as, you know, continuing to connect or needing that, yeah. that space. Well, and I think that's a really important point too, to highlight that we don't know what our postpartum experience is going to be like. Right? right. And where you may think I'm going to be okay because I felt okay after this baby, but after the next one, it's a different experience. I know I had postpartum anxiety with, after both of my um, sons, but it looked very different. And mm-hmm. for the first one, I definitely wasn't in a place to hold space. Cause I was solo parenting for several months. The second one, I just, the anxiety was really exacerbated. And so, yeah, being able to, I think, have that conversation ahead of time with clients of this is what I'm anticipating but it could change, right? Like I'm anticipating taking six weeks, but I will have to, you know, let you know if it's going to be extended or, you know, if you can reach out to me, that kind of thing. And it's okay. And that's pretty much what I did. I mean, I said, you know, I'll be, you know, ideally back 
on this date. I'll let you know if for some reason I'm feeling ready yeah. or okay before then. Right, you know? right. And then we kind of just, you know, I'm I'm grateful that everyone was also, you know, in a, in a good space sure. and, and flexible, but they were able sure. to kind of ride that wave with me. We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real-life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug-and-send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. I'm curious for you, because again, I think a lot of times, especially again, going back to kind of self-disclosure and, you know, in pregnancy, like even if, if you're especially seeing people in person and you are making a choice not to disclose your pregnancy, like your body is going to give it away <laughs> eventually sure. if you're pregnant. And so I know that for some women, like they're very comfortable and open with sharing about kind of their experience or even their birth and that kind of thing with clients. And I'm curious for you, if disclosure of I'm journeying through motherhood as single mom by choice, if that is something that you've chosen to disclose to clients or to say, nope, I'm going to keep that as something that is my own information and, and, and how yeah. you've navigated that. And that's an excellent question. And I think about that all the time, actually, because I remember when I was living in Los Angeles, I saw a therapist for a while and I loved her, but I knew nothing about her. Yeah. She was so fantastic about just maintaining those boundaries and no, like very little self-disclosure. And while there's a part of me that doesn't mind disclosing if I feel like it's appropriate for the client, right? Sure. Or the conversation or if it would be helpful and supportive. Um, certain clients know a little bit more about me yeah. than others. Um, the one thing I do mention, not necessarily with my private practice clients, but I do a lot of um, third-party reproduction consultations okay. for the various fertility practices in yeah. the greater Philadelphia area. So if anyone needs donor sperm, donor egg, embryo, yeah. usually have to have like a consultation with a therapist okay. to make sure that it's there's like the psychoeducational piece to it. Then there's also making sure that you've made an informed decision, Sure. Um, which you figure if you're going through that process, you probably have made an informed decision right, right, by then. Right. Um, but when I do meet with those clients, I do tend to disclose that I have embarked on this journey of solo yeah. parenthood because one, I've had that same consultation myself using donor sperm for my kids. Um, yeah. But I also figured hoping and the feedback I've received is that it makes them feel a little more at ease going yeah. through the process or knowing that not that a, a therapist has to have had that experience, but, you know, I have gone through IVF, I have done IUI, I've used donor, you know, sperm yeah. and um, trying, hopefully trying to answer whatever questions or kind yeah. of ease that emotional roller coaster. 
so it, to answer your question, when it comes to those type of consultations, I do tend to disclose yeah. um, in advance um, while acknowledging that I'm not an employee of yeah. practices. So they know yeah. that they can be honest, you know, yeah. uh, about, you know, what their experience is. With my private practice clients, some of them, I would say, know a little mm-hmm. bit about, you know, know that I'm a single parent yeah. or know that I'm a parent. Um, it doesn't really go beyond that. Yeah. And I think you have approached it in a way that it sounds like it's, again, it's my information and I can choose to share where I feel most comfortable to, and that I don't have to disclose this if I don't want to, but also recognizing where like with the clients that you're doing the consultations with, it almost sounds like it, it humanizes the experience a little bit more. Like they're not alone in that. No, I understand what you've gone through or what you're going through. Right. There's connection. Yeah, there. absolutely. Because I think for um, for some, you know, it depends on if they're a solo parent or if it's a couple and one, you know, needs to use a, yeah. a donor. You know, just kind of the the, the grief and loss that comes with yes. not being able to use their their DNA to, right. to build their to build their family. So yeah. kind of like you said, like validating that experience. And well, I didn't have to experience that in order to support them. I've, I've found that kind of disclosing that has, has brought a a bit of ease in in the conversation. For you going back to one of the things you were talking about and how you planned and prepared to journey into motherhood as single mom by choice. And then also the realm of I'm also working for myself and I have the freedom and the flexibility and the independence there. You know, you talked about the village, which is so important. And I think so many people lack in many ways. And I'm curious for you, what does your village consist of? Like who are the people or the services that are there to support you, especially when you don't have that partner to rely on. Absolutely. I mean, my village, and I'm so grateful that my mom lives 10 minutes away. I mean, mm. as much as I loved Los Angeles, I didn't have a village like that there. Yeah. I had friends there, but you know, my, my mom, when I was talking to her and telling her that I was gonna, that I was thinking of doing this, she was like, if you want help, you need to move back. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, fine. Yeah. So my mom has been an unbelievable support um as far as just you know babysitting and helping with the kids and and being so physically close by and I recognize that not a lot of parents you know even if they have a partner necessarily have you right. know, the grandparent local right. so she has been and and I have a sister who's local as well so like she has been supportive um yeah and my my close friends, they're, they're my village. I'm very lucky and love that I've, you know, stayed in touch with friends since elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice or wisdom if there is somebody who is thinking of journeying into, you know, motherhood as a single mom by choice is in private practice and maybe their village is not quite as strong going into Mm -hmm. it. Any suggestions or just advice of like how to build that up or prepare themselves? Absolutely. I mean, 
I think as much as I feel like there's like a love hate relationship with social media (laughs) at times, like the single mothers by choice, Facebook groups or a Mm. lot of the, those similar types of groups are fantastic resources and you never know who you're going to meet along the way. Um, I happen to not even, I didn't meet them through the Facebook group, even though they're on this Facebook group, but even within eight blocks of me, my home are two other single moms by choice. Yeah. And and our kids all go to school together. Right. And I, you know, and that's, there's part of my village support for each other. Um, But the Facebook groups are fantastic because especially if they're localized, another way to meet other, you know, other women that are going on, you know, going through this journey. I would highly recommend that. No, there is a love hate um, relationship with social (laughs) media, but there can be like such amazing groups. um, Absolutely. And And I feel like there's been wonderful resources and community, especially yeah. in in that particular group. If somebody is listening and they are single or they're thinking about venturing into single motherhood by choice and they're in private practice, but they're wondering, can I do this? What should I prepare for? Like, do you have any, I know like you could probably write a book of like all the steps to take, but what yeah. for them to kind of really think about or a place to begin to prepare themselves for that journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, for my first, before I actually went into private practice full-time, when I was with the group practice, I still partially work with a group practice as a small one. Um, So I think having that um, stability in a way helped a bit, right? Um, But I think kind of, having that game plan of, especially when you start a practice, you know, there's not necessarily the consistent influx of clients, right? You know, there's that choice of, do I go um, the insurance route or do I stay private pay? I currently um, am all private pay, but I think if I wasn't at a group practice at the time, which also they took insurance. So while the split was a lot lower, you know, at least there was always that consistency of um, a caseload. So I think if someone was just starting out, maybe start out by considering um, accepting insurance. Yeah. And so while the reimbursement rate might, you know, be significantly less and you might have to have a higher caseload, at least that would be kind of, you know, guaranteed income yeah. while you're trying to launch your practice. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. And it would also help, you know, bring in referrals a little bit easier because people, people are prone to want to use their insurance over having sure. to pay out of pocket, but that in all the stuff you're thinking about of building your practice and preparing for motherhood and trying to conceive that the worry about where is the next client going to come from may doesn't have to necessarily be one of the other stressors. Right. So maybe it is like accepting insurance or before you, if someone's really starting from scratch, as far as starting in private practice, maybe it's really identifying what niche, you know, what's your area that they're really interested in then at least when they start to kind of do outreach or market, then they know that they can focus in on that. 
serendipitously or just because of my personal experience, that's kind of how I ended up in perinatal mental health, just because of my own journey. And I, and I, and I love working with this population, but I think it took me kind of having had all of these experiences to Mm -hmm. lead me here. So maybe if someone's thinking about starting a practice and embarking this on their own, you know, it's like, what area or population would I want to focus in on? And then they can, you know, that's how they can market themselves. Well, and I also think too, when you are working with that ideal client or that ideal population, it makes it easier to leave your baby because you're going back to work in a space that you're like, I like work. I enjoy working with these people. Right. And if it's clients that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to go talk to, to these people or work with these people because it's just not the right fit for you. It does make it a lot harder to come back then. Absolutely. No, you're right. It's like, find what you're, you know, what brings you a smile on your face or what you feel like you'd be passionate about, yeah. you know, and, and then kind of hone in on that. Yeah. And, it, and actually it's funny because I was looking over your, you know, all your various podcast episodes, like I was telling you earlier, and even, um, you know, like working on your SEO. Yeah. You know, I was just like, oh, that's a good one. That's, yeah. you know, that's important as far as how are people even going to know that you're there and out yeah. there if yeah. you're, you know, don't have a background in marketing. Well, SEO can make a huge difference. You know, so right. it's like, I think kind of identifying where to put your time and energy yeah. when you're launching your practice. So that way it's set up and it's not that it runs itself, but like you've got this well-oiled machine kind of built and going. Yeah. And that, that again, that doesn't have to be one of these worries and stressors for you as you're, you know, journeying to, to motherhood. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot to think about for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, anything else to share with our listeners, those who either work with this population or working with single moms by choice or who are considering this as their path to, to parenthood, anything to share with them last minute thoughts? I just think that if, you know, if you've been thinking about doing it and that's where your heart, you know, is that like, don't think twice about it. And, you know, you have it in you to accomplish anything, even if it's on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just want to acknowledge and thank you for sharing your story with us today. I know this can be a place of vulnerability and for just opening up your story to us. And I hope that for listeners who are considering this as a journey for them, that this is something that they'll take away. I really appreciate your time today. I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. Appreciate it. Thank you again to Jamie for sharing her experience of becoming a single mom by choice and her journey through fertility treatments with all of us. And if you're anticipating taking maternity leave in private practice soon or in the future, be sure to register for the free workshop I'm hosting called Planning for Maternity Leave in Private Practice. You can register at raisedtoempower.com forward slash maternity leave. Thank you for listening to today's episode and be sure to check your feed tomorrow for part four and our final episode of this series. Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. 
If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.